listening to the very first, the inaugural Saturday Morning Sports Emporium via not the radio, not on any radio station, not broadcasting to you valiantly from any basements anywhere. Well, I don't know where you guys are at, but I'm in a home office. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Welcome to this interesting session. Hello. Good morning. You know, depending upon when you're listening, it's just a hello. And oh, actually, if you fair. look at all of our, um, uh, right now we're doing a audio, but we're doing it on a video recording, and all of us have sunlight in the room, so it's very safe to say that or some sort of daylight. Uh, so hence, we're not uh, in the basement. It, uh, it appears across the board. So. Yes, that, that does. I did not notice that, but I am not particularly observant. But it has been quite a long time since we've been on the air. Um, goodness, six weeks, eight weeks, I don't even know anymore. Three years. So that being said, there's an awful lot to talk about. For a while, there was really nothing to talk about uh, because everything more or less stopped in its tracks with COVID-19 and all the other fun things going on in the world related to that. So every major sport and minor sport pretty much um, went on hiatus. And now, as in many parts of the country, things are starting to open again, at least for the moment. Um, we're going to start seeing sports come back, and there's quite a lot to talk about with that. There's also the off-the-field stuff that we can get to today. So some of the topics that we're going to talk about include um, Oakland basketball, and I did look at the transfer portal, and boy, did that make me sad. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about MLB, um, some really interesting stuff going on in that world, uh, the minor leagues. Uh, there's some issues with the umpires right now, the possibilities of what they're going to do for a season. We've got NFL draft and obviously the Lions and uh, the best day of any Lions season is draft day. And um, also possibly dive into the new documentary uh, going on right now on ESPN. So we definitely have plenty of topics to uh, to dive into. But as always, we start in the in the realm of Oakland University, since that's kind of where uh, where this all uh, came together. And I mean, we've talked about this many times: uh, the transfer portal and what impact it has on Oakland and really any school. And and so I'm going to start with. Just saying, one of the things, and this is purely an aesthetic thing for me, one of the things I don't like about college sports is the fact that players generally are only there for a few years. I mean, four years is feels like an anomaly now, but just one of the things, just a personal opinion, nothing more interesting than that. But it's now really exacerbated by this transfer portal. And I, I think it's going to have a much more negative impact on more sports fans because it's not even right now for a lot of teams uh, two years. It's a year, and then where am I going? Um, so from the fan perspective, I feel like it kind of sucks. From Oakland's perspective, it definitely sucks. I, I would totally agree, and I mean, I recall our last show that we had uh, where we talked about OU basketball, and the running commentary that uh, Brandon offered is that while 
uh, and we were talking about the, and, and I don't exactly remember the timing, but uh, um, I, I, I think we were kind of talking about the conference tournament and Brandon saying, hey, I'm really excited more about next year than I am this year. Sure. And, and the and, and the player that he absolutely called out was Trey Maddox, yeah. right? He yeah. he was, and, and, and I don't mean to take your thunder, Brandon. No. But the point being, well, but, you're but that, props, so. yeah, no, no, no. And I, I, but 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 again, I mean that that was the 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 player that you were really going to be able to put your hat on going into the. Uh, 2020, 2021 season, right? And as a result, you know, you you, you felt pretty good. Uh, but of course, we immediately forgot the implications of the uh, um, transfer portal last year, and didn't encourage bring it to the forward and and really put out that risk of Trey Maddox and any other player on this particular team potentially leaving. And right now they have six players that are in the portal. The only one that has so far committed to a new school has been Trey Maddox. And of course, we might assume because of the COVID um, nightmare, if you will, uh, pandemic, that maybe more will happen. But literally the impact has already been felt with the, with the transition of Trey Maddox out to Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a couple thoughts there. There's the big picture and then there's Oakland. I think the big picture is this This is really threatening the mid-major model for parity and competition in college basketball. And that was take, you know, and, and Trey Max is a good example. You know, you go out, you get a raw athlete, uh, someone who can develop over four years, who's then going to be a problem for big, you know, power conference schools come his fourth year when he's had an opportunity to develop and that athletic, turn that athleticism into some polish. Um, he's going to give, you know, better teams fits that fourth year. But this, of course, is blowing all of that up. And uh, the Wolverines were beneficiaries of this in the other direction. You know, they get a fifth-year senior from, I believe, Columbia to, to run the point guard position. You know, kind of blows up Columbia's season, you know, taking away their best player going into his fifth year. So it, it's just it, – but, you know, the, the other thing about it, too, is, you know, there are also other, you know, mid-major schools who are getting these guys, too. So – the whole model for, for college basketball parity is blowing. It's not necessarily getting worse, but it's been blown up. Uh, that development no longer rules the day for the mid-majors. I would say for Oakland, yeah, obviously it's, it's really bad news. Um, what I was curious about, we didn't talk about this much, but Trey Maddox warmed up uh, for their conference tournament game that they lost and then did not play um, and was, it was ruled out with illness. Uh, and uh, I actually went on his Twitter that day because I was trying to figure out what was happening because – we had the uh, visitor feed uh, for the conference tournament game, so they never even mentioned once that our you know second best player wasn't playing or whatever. Um, great job, guys. Um, you know, I, I went on his Twitter to be like, you know, what's going on? And he had actually taken a picture of himself at midcourt of the day of the game, and I'm like, wow, that's bizarre. You know, if he's out there warming up, if he's taking pictures of himself and hyping himself up on Twitter, and 20 minutes later he's not playing in a do or die game. Wow. And so it just made me wonder at the time, like, is he sick or is this an issue with him and Campy? And there was a lot of tension, you know, presumably layman's point of view, just watching on TV between the two of them. You know, there would be times that Maddox would come out for 30 seconds and Campy would just lay into him about a decision he made on the court. because Decision-making at times was suspect. So you wonder, you wonder what's behind that. Um, but overall, just for Oakland, just scared that the ability for Campy to tap into a really rich – talent pool in the metro Detroit area is now kind of under existential threat due to the transfer portal. Um, and so that, that's, it's scary. It's, it's really unfortunate because uh, this team, 
you know, now for two years in a row, we've had significant opportunities that have been dampened uh, due to the transfer portal. I, I think going back to your example in terms of campy, I, I think that that is his style of coaching. Now, how much of an impact that is in terms of uh, if we related to the transfer portal? If it is, that's because people, the, the recruits have not done a very good job of understanding the type of coaching that Coach Campy does, which is very much in line with the, uh, how Tom Izzo has done, right? So, so and, and, and Tom Izzo appears to be slowly getting better a little bit in terms of, of recruiting, in terms of some of the stars now, and, and one can debate. But, but in, now, in, in terms of Trey Maddox specifically, uh, and in terms of the freedom of the transfer portal, if you really kind of take a step back, the players are getting the freedom to do what they choose to do right in line with coaching, right? Because the belly aching from a coaching standpoint, you go out, you recruit players, you make a commitment, and especially in a mid-major, then that coach gets that opportunity to move up. And then there's not, then there was never an opportunity for a player, unless they were going to be sitting out a year, to be able to go ahead and, and, and move schools, that the, they were stuck. Now, and, and I think, Justin, to your point earlier about the four years, uh, you were talking about the, 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 the players staying four years. I guess, are, are, were you hoping that they were going to stay longer or shorter or, uh, or, or just it, it just was a, a, a fact of life? Yeah, so, so for me, it's just purely as a viewer, I like the idea of having a team I, I, you know, I grew up on the 84 Tigers. And so my vision of a team is one where the team plays together for eight years or 10 years or something like that. Yeah, that doesn't happen in professional sports so much anymore either, which I greatly dislike. Um, so for me, just purely a, just one of the things that, that, that didn't appeal to me about it. Um, but it is what it is, right? That's just me as a fan. But what I, I worry about now is that you kind of go the way – one of the, the neat things about college basketball and the tournament and what have you is teams like Oakland can do things. You know, I think of Gonzaga X number of years ago before they were always, uh, you know, on, on the top end of the brackets. I think of um, uh, Valpo. You know, going to the Sweet 16, uh, right. stuff like that. Loyola, Chicago. Right, absolutely. Yeah. ECU yeah. a handful of years ago, yep. Yep, and, and, and that's going to happen less and less and less under this system because it's going to be more like, uh, uh, like baseball is. You have the majors, and then you have the, the different conferences are going to become just simply feeder conferences. I'm at AAA this year, and that's Oakland let's just say, okay, next year I'm going to the majors for my fourth or fifth year if I'm a redshirt or whatever. And that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I think you're, you're like halfway there. I think, I think it's going to be chaotic because there's not going to be enough between the incoming high school players and the top tier of the feeders. And there will be feeders for the power schools. You're right. There's just not going to be enough slots though on the top college basketball teams to take all those guys. Because a lot of the guys that are transferring out from the mid-majors are going to want to start. You know, they're going to want to play full minutes. And, yeah, they can transfer to Duke and sit on the bench. And so what it's going to do is going to create multiple tiers as well where you just – it's just going to be just total chaos. You're not going to be able to build a program. There may be a mid-major that gets lucky 
uh, like a Cincinnati, for example, and manages to grab a couple guys and go on a run, and then they're going to fall apart the next year. And so I think what's going to happen is the Gonzaga story, that's what's going to go away. I do think some, some mid-majors will be competitive. They will make deep runs, but then they'll implode the next year. And that's not, that's not good for the game. Right. And the, just the last thing on this that's bizarre is Cal State Fullerton. I don't not – a, not a good basketball school, not a rich tradition of basketball, not a good team last year. Uh, certainly over the last 10 years, far less to speak for uh, than Oakland as far as basketball. They did have a more recent tournament run where they lost by like 40. Um, but just not a, not a good basketball school. And now if you would have said Trey Maddox went to, you know, maybe Cincinnati-ish or a little, you know, a school in that range, maybe not quite as good. I'd have been like, get it, totally get it. Good athlete who wants to go play with better players, better competition, but Cal State Fullerton. For the weather? I I, I think it – yeah, but I think in, in the end um, – I guess I manage my expectations of the quality of decisions that will be made by by the young people, right? And and that really, if if you're 18, 19, 20, and you really don't have anyone that you can defer to in terms of making good decisions, you're going to be dependent upon the rhetoric that is offered by whoever the coach is. And I will tell you, and we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no rhetoric when you are being coached by Coach Greg Campy. There's no rhetoric. You either you have the truth and you have the truth. That You have two choices that you can deal with. And I think with a lot of these guys, it's a lot of tough love. And, and you know, when you were talking about the, uh, you know, Trey Maddox earlier uh, and, and, you know, his relationship with uh, uh, Coach Campy, I immediately thought of Cassius Winston and, and the coaching that he received from Tom Mikko, which – don't get me wrong. It is way over here on the right anymore, and I, I just say the right in terms of the, the border. There, there's a lot more love, and I think there's a lot more of these coaches telling these players what they think they want the players – what the players think they want to hear. And as a result, when you're 18, 19, 20, you don't know any better, and hence you do run into a good streak of not-so-good decision-making. Yep. So – Transferring away from the transfer portal, uh, but going see, I still have the smooth segues there. It's 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 a, it's a gift. All matter of opinion, Justin. All of a matter of opinion. Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, but transitioning to uh, off the court, obviously NFL draft, a virtual event this year as well, and Lions they took a corner. They took a corner at number three. Um, Brandon, I know you were underwhelmed by that pick. Yeah, I, I um, you know, it was it was a waste of a, a number three pick. You know, again, it's it's the it's just the the print it's you know, almost the principle and the just the the underlying you know kind of point of view on how you assemble a team, right? And I just you don't know, take a cornerback at three, you don't take a tight end at eight. Uh, Jeff Okuda, by all accounts, is an excellent cornerback. Darius Slay, by all accounts, was an excellent cornerback. So one of them left, one of them's here now. Uh, uh, Okuda's younger and cheaper, and in the short term will be better than Slay. Uh, in the long term, he will probably leave like Slay leaves. So uh, net nothing from a number three pick. And, and so, cool, again, it's just it's all opportunity costs, really. And I would say the same thing with Hawkinson, you know. Deal the pick, gamble. You know, I mean, if, if you know, I don't know Tua and his health, and I get it. 
but you know, gamble, you know, at least, you know, go for, go for a long shot. Right. To me, that's worthy of a third pick is, is gambling like that on someone that can redefine the future of your franchise. Jeff Okuda will not redefine the future of this franchise. He will be a very good player. He may be a pro bowler. Darius Slay was a pro bowler. They didn't take Darius Slay at number three. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Daryl Rivas wasn't taken at number three. Richard Sherman wasn't taken at number three. You know, find me another cornerback taken in the top five that, you know, there's a handful in the history of the NFL that you might even think would be warranted of a top five pick. Uh, so it's just, you know, not, not a great pick, but I'll, I'll open it up to the two of you for that. I have better thoughts on the rest of their draft, but, uh, you know, the first round, total bomb. Adam, what are you thinking on, on the three pick? So, I, uh, you know, in the end, I, I would have loved Chase Young to have been available at that point. It, that, that, that's a worthy pick of a number three, I thought, before two. But, but I think there's a couple things that played into it. One, the draft was just way too deep to be giving up draft picks to just climb up a couple picks to pick a player that you were relatively sure was going to be there. I think secondly is the fact that I, I think Tua – can can be a, a very good quarterback, but I think and, and while Brandon stating, "Hey, go for the gamble," it's number three, so forth. I think the other school of thought is the opposite: is that you've got to be able to come out of this draft with a, a at minimum a very solid player, if not a a, a great player at number three. Um, and, and and I think that's the, the I think the mentality of those who run the NFL is you've got to come out with the guarantee versus the, the, the gamble. And I, I think we as Lions fans, we've seen gambles. We, we, Matt Millen was every year was a gamble, and only one out of those eight picks really worked out remotely halfway decent, right? And, I, and, and by the way, this is not a, a – shows are built on disagreement, argument, you know, in, you know, a spirited discussion in the end. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what Brandon's saying. I just, with Jeff Okuda, though, a little more of a breakdown with him. One, significantly younger than Darius Clay. Two, from an eye test standpoint, I think Darius Clay's best days were way behind him. I, I didn't think he played well at all last year. And really, and in terms of buying into the program and whatever, it was beyond clear that that wasn't going to work. Sure. So, so the timing on getting rid of him was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's tough to pallet the, the pick. And, and I think they desperately wanted to trade down. But again, because of the value that you were getting all the way down to the third round and the beginning of the fourth round in this draft, and plus really to be and, – and really when you look at those quarterbacks, what that really said, and when you look at the commentary – there was, hey, they're good quarterbacks. We're going to go ahead, and some of these teams are going to draft them. Like Miami. Miami could because they got three first-round draft picks this sure. year, right? And, and I think that's I, – I, I can see both sides. Yeah, let, let me offer a couple more things. I think, one, um, I would have, there were several other players taken on the top ten that I would have taken over Okuda and would have given higher marks to. Um, I would have taken Isaiah Simmons over Okuda because he's more versatile, and I would have taken the tackle uh, out of Georgia, I believe, because, again, a tackle is something you can build around for 10 years. He's going to be protecting your skill players for 10 years. Typically a tackle that's taken in the top 10, right? You know, you think of the Joe Thomases and just those those guys. These, this is what you build franchises around, a good offensive lineman. So, again, like, you know, I think Simmons has a higher upside than anyone else uh, that I mentioned, and I think that the, the lineman was the safer pick. So I just, you know, Okuda is going to be great for six years, and like Slay, 
and most other cornerbacks is going to fade away and he's going to become a nickel. And, and, you know, we're going to be talking about that, that guy that gave us two Pro Bowl seasons. And then now it's, you know, a dime cornerback for the Patriots when they went to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, and, but I think the other good point you made, Adam, is what they felt like they had to come out of the draft, which to me comes back to the question is, do these people actually think they're going to win enough games to make the playoffs next year? And the answer is probably yes from them because they're going to lose their jobs if they don't. But the answer for anyone else that objectively is looking at the roster is going, how is that going to be possible? Even with, I think, a pretty solid draft after the first round. Because, again, to your point, Adam, very deep draft. But, uh, you know, I guess that, that that's that question I would throw back to you is, you know, clearly where they were, were Quinn and Patricia thinking, I've got to assemble the list of draft picks that get me closest to 10 or 11 wins. I and, and I think at this point, yes, they won three games last year. Yes, they 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 looked not so good at times, especially on defense. So they went ahead. They you know they go ahead and they pick a Cuda. Um, I, I I think and and you know d- down the line at uh, round three they got Julian Aquara. Um, you know, and I think it. But then the 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 strange thing was then you didn't really see many more draft picks that were more dedicated to a defense that really probably needed to be. I think a lot of that has to do with their anticipation with having $30 million uh, with the cap next year of the type of releases that are going to happen on June 1st of some of these players and, and those that happens because of how it fits with the cap and, and so forth, right? I, I think, and, and, and so with that $30 million, my expectation is they're going to be a, a, a continued investment into that front, uh, front seven on defense. Now, is this team better uh, than they were going into draft day? Absolutely. And I think um, – and, and we didn't really talk a lot about the Lions as, uh, after the season, and, and rightfully so. Um, they went out. They made some changes in their coaching staff. Okay, fine. Material uh, impact, probably in the, maybe on the special teams, but overall, probably not. Uh, going into free agency – a lot of depth guys, a, a lot of guys that, you know, at the very least, continue to try to stabilize, stabilize that defense and, and also go out and, and uh, 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 Vitae from uh, um, the Eagles. They went ahead and, and picked him as an offensive lineman. So, again, solidifying that team. My, my, my takeaway was they're going to have to go into this draft trying to figure out what the biggest impact they could make. I think with Akuda, they absolutely solidified that that uh, um, um, you know uh, their backfield. And 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 one thing about Akuda, the last thing I'll add is what I figure is that despite the fact that you pick a cornerback that high, what's very curious though is that in the last couple of years, young cornerbacks have gone ahead and they garnered somewhere in the neighborhood the one or two two or three very high draft picks like Jalen Ramsey and whatever. If he's that good, it, it'll be interesting to to see. Or the overall impact to that defense. But well, moving on, that's well. That that's that's the word I wanted to use was impact. And I think that's the point about the number three pick is impact. And is a right. corner going to have that kind of impact? And just looking through the NFL has um, draft information. Our our crack um, research staff is still on duty here, and even even in the pandemic. Um, valiantly searching the internet um and and you know at least going back to the 60s there's no other corner who's been drafted higher than number three uh there have been just a couple 
Um, some very notable fours. Charles Woodson was a four. Champ Bailey was a four. Uh, Revis was a 14, interestingly enough. Uh, but I just wanted to throw out one other number three that you'll know, which is Benny Blades. Um, he was actually a number three uh, draft pick. But um, anyway. Um, to, to, to be accurate, though, Benny Blake was a safety, not a cornerback. Well, okay. He was a defensive. He was actually drafted as a defensive back because he, he bounced around positionally in college but yes he played safety in the nfl that is fair that is a fair statement yeah i mean i think the, the question about impact you know just to, to throw a couple names is he a, is he a patrick peterson or is he a terrence newman uh patrick peterson obviously you know was a hall of fame player terrence newman was a really solid corner for a lot of years in the nfl and then faded away and won't be you know, not a hall of famer you know again number three you know yeah if you hit a patrick peterson sure you get a Terrence Newman, you get a Quentin Jammer, you know, also taken pretty high. Jammer like, was like a four or five, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Denzel Ward, a couple of guys taken more recently. I don't know. Again, I, I, I put them in the Terrence Newman category. And, and and you could very well be right. I, I don't. I, I'm and and I think that's the the general problem that you have with the NFL draft is it is in the end a gamble and a crapshoot. And to your point earlier about Tua, maybe in the end that that's the. But this team continues to believe that 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 Max Stafford can continue to be a quarterback in the league. That's another argument. I don't think necessarily one that we need to have today. We've had it and we'll continue to have it down the road. But but. But, but lastly, I, I'll just say that I think the DeAndre Swift pick was um, uh, – that was the type of aggressive um, um, type of pick that we've been wanting. Uh, it was a not uh, – there was no complacency with that pick, right? They took a guy that very much could be a, a game changer on the offensive side of the ball. Now – we we can debate uh, um, whether or not, and of course, I, I wrote down the name, and of course, I don't have it in front of me. The uh, running back from uh, Ohio State that ended up going to the Baltimore Ravens uh, uh, at the end of the second round uh, was who I would have preferred uh, in, in the end. But hey, I'm not complaining. Uh, yes, yes. Um, but but having Swift, really, in all honesty, and if you have a healthy Max Stafford and your receivers stay healthy. This is a very beyond formidable offense, but unfortunately, that's a lot of ifs. So, I, it, it, does this team, is this team better? Yes. Will it get better with some additional signings? Yes. And the question will be, how, how good are they going to get? Vegas has six and a half games. I'm not going to necessarily disagree. I think a, Ma a healthy Max Stafford, 12, 13, 14 games, definitely gives them past that six and a half. But, you know, again, where, where, where does that put you as a franchise? And I and, – and your general manager and your coach. <laughs> Which is what's going to happen. Like, every team came out of the draft a better team. Right. Oh, no, no. no. Or, it's, or, it's or, except the Rams. Right. Yeah. We can talk maybe, about them in a minute. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe the Packers. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That was rough. Uh, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, Matt Stafford, I'm playing trains and automobiles trying to find a way out of town. I mean, you know, this, it, again, I, I like, I like the pick. I thought I actually preferred Swift to, to Dobbins. Uh, 
I think it's a great pick. I think they're beginning to form an identity on offense uh, with the running game because Carryon Johnson, I still believe, is a very good running back. And I think Swift is a very good running back. And so run the ball. That's good because, you know, they have a collection of pots and pans and Kenny Galladay in terms of for Stafford to throw to. You know, uh, James, Bust, Amendola, you know, he'll do his job. Um, you know, don't know what you're going to get from Hawkinson. Can he stay healthy? So, you know, I, I like it. I think they're, they're building an identity on offense. I think the problem is, is the, the team has a multiple identities. They seem to be gambling in some places and, and investing in some places and not investing in other places. But, you know, at least to close it out for mine, I'll give them at least until free agency to, to, to a full verdict on how they assembled this year's spot. But, you know, short of a miracle, you know, they're not making the playoffs. And if they lose, you know, seven, you know, they don't win more than seven, eight games, they're going to fire Quinn and Patricia probably. So, or at least Patricia. So start all over again, Stafford or across the trade or, you know, I mean, it's, so it's just, I don't, I don't see a good trajectory here. You know, I, uh, you know what though, going back to the Stafford, I, I, I think he looked a really, really nice life because I think if he would have wanted to trade, he would have requested that a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess if he doesn't want to win the Super Bowl, then sure. Well, $250 million later, I'm sure he's sleeping all right in, in his bed. So. And, and some people, then that, that's that's perfectly right. good enough. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Um, so, so – Watching the draft as an online thing, Adam. This is something you you said. It was much diff, a much different viewing perspective. What what was I mean besides the obvious? What what made it different for you? Um, again, I think it was our first taste of what it's going to be like not watching games with fans. Um, and I think you know, and again, the, the, this you know, Roger Goodell, you know, appeared to be in his basement, you know, everybody's <laughs> friend, Jerry Jones is making picks from his yacht. I mean, uh, so I think, and, and, and that's where, and in the meantime, I, and the one thing that a, a lot of people talked about was, you know, like, uh, uh, and definitely uh, was the case with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, they have their kids there, you know, going ahead and, uh, um, you know, marking players off, and it seemed to be a little bit of a family affair to the, uh, uh, you know, the different players getting picked, and, and, you know, a few of them very much adhering to the social distancing that we're being asked to go ahead and adhere to. That was definitely the uh, the chance which, uh, you know, uh, Burrow, the quarterback, to got picked up. It was just his two parents, and that was it. But then you had other people. They had 20 people in the room and whatever. So uh, a general feeling of the different takes that you have uh, as far as the requests that are supposed to be done um, in this pandemic. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, especially the commentary was, boy, I, almost like people were felt a lot better versus, oh, you know, Goodell up at the, you know, the, the, you know, up at the podium at wherever city, of course, forever it's been New York, uh, but now, you know, it's supposed to be in Vegas, that didn't happen. So, you know, the booing and, and stuff like that, and then the players coming out, and everybody dressed fancy, hugging Goodell. A lot of that, I, I didn't have a use of the beginning with this just talk about the players and talk about how it's going to impact the teams and, and go forward and i think again like i said to start off it's going to give you a tremendous taste of what is potential in terms of how we are going to view sports at, at the very least until the end of summer well that 
is without question. And that really takes us into, I think, the, the Major League Baseball, because that's going to, that's, the most immediate impact for this time of year. I mean, hockey got, you know, and, and basketball got truncated and I, I don't know what's going to happen with those. And I, I've not seen anything concrete at all. Baseball also did, obviously they were still in spring training when this all hit. Um, but even as we, you know, we start getting back, baseball is going to be very different. And while we can very safely practice social distancing at Comerica Park right now. Um, <laughs> it, um, it, that's not going to be the case uh, all throughout the league. And this is where we're going to see the impact first. Brandon? No, no, actually I had a point on the NFL draft, but I guess just to make that, uh, I actually found it far more tolerable. I have absolutely, had absolutely no use to, for where the NFL draft had gone in terms of their live TV coverage. Uh, having it digital, they changed a lot of the formatting, a lot of how they were presenting the information. So for me, who was, you know, working at the same time, I was able to have one screen and actually look at it and get valuable information and not look at Mel Kuyper's sweating forehead. So, um, and was just listening to him, you know, now with him on mute, just, you know, talk, talk, talk. So I actually found it to be somewhat more palatable, but, uh, so I hope they replicate more of that production. I would imagine, especially with the and, – and, again, a lot of the, the ratings had to do with basically nothing else being on television, right? So, But but I think when, when you think about it and, and what the positive reviews are and, – and, and, you know, when you're in the NFL, you have to, to understand positive reviews are probably a very much an indicator of what people like. And as a result, uh, it, it, it will be very curious – what it looks like next year the wind how does it happen does it happen you know all those things so for sure but let's transition into major league baseball at this point um there's there's a lot of craziness going on with conversations about what's going to go on uh, perhaps the most interesting is this whole concept of playing the season uh in the grapefruit league stadiums and the Cactus League stadiums uh, under a quarantine scenario. Um, and that, I mean, that's kind of jaw-dropping. I mean, you get rid of the American and National League, every team is using the DH. Replay goes away. Um, a variety of other rule changes uh, are, would come with that, and there'd be nobody at the games. Uh, that's pretty staggering. But on the other hand, if you're Major League Baseball, what else do you do? And and I don't know that I have that answer. And maybe that is the right answer. Well, I mean, my understanding, they were not going to allow spitting of anything. So there's no tobacco. There's no sunflower seeds. There's none of, of, of that right based on – How can you have baseball without spitting? Are they, are they still going to allow Marlins fans to spit from their comfort of their own home <laughs> and take the field? I'm just asking. I'm sorry. It's a good question. It's a very, because very valid the line. I mean, anyone should have the right to just spit when they see the Marlins starting lineup. Sorry. I, I, that's in the safety of your own home. Yes. Right. Yeah. Spit indiscriminately. Fair. As long as you're social distancing, the call that matters, Brandon. Right. So if you want to spit and you take your mask off first, are you social distancing your spit? Right. Then you're fine. Sure. No, I mean, I think I think they need to. They need to. I think they need to. They need to. They need to play the game. You know, they need to. 
I think I think their the TV ratings will be through the roof. Yeah, they'll uh, make a ton of advertising. For sure, for sure, they, they should do it. I and, think the and, NBA and NHL should do the same. And and to that point, though, and I think that's probably the most important thing if you're baseball is that you've got to figure out because actually, if you think about it, baseball has more of an opportunity of actually maintaining. Um, uh, maintaining the play, right? A hundred play because they'll be outside, and 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 as a result, if you're again, unfortunately, we're deluged with a lot of data, and the problem with the data that we're getting, we're not exactly sure how accurate it is, and so forth. But if you're led to believe that you are healthier being outside, and the chances of getting germs are a lot less being outside. Boy, baseball has a chance. Plus, if you add the fact that if you're really the only show in town, I mean, baseball hasn't been the only show in town uh, for the most part since, uh, and, and again, you have that July, August range or whatever. Really, July is about the only month that they're the only show in town. You're able to do that, and people are at, are at home, and they're dying for live sports. My Lord in heaven, that, that, that could ratings – opportunity that they haven't had probably since the 60s yeah and, and by the way I, you know in terms of the actual play too i think baseball and not that some crowds aren't amazing and don't impact games but you know i think for the viewing experience the crowd's very different in baseball than in the other sports uh you know in in in, in basketball in particular the crowd from a viewing standpoint on tv plays a much bigger role than, than baseball with this, you know, you know, things like the playoffs or, and just the nature of baseball where there are inflection points rather than, you know, a three, two count with the bases loaded, right? right. Obviously you lose, you will lose that. But you know, with basketball, it's just, you know, based on ebb and flow, you know, you've got, you know, fans, you know, going nuts for two minutes straight during the defensive set or whatever. So, it, you know, or during a run, you know, a 10 0 run or whatever, you got, you know, this building crescendo of the fan experience. So I think, Baseball loses the least uh, because it is outside in most instances um, from from that. And so I think that would only contribute to the quality of the product. I think for some of the other sports, you know, yikes, you know, it's going to be weird. It's going to be very weird, even though I still want them to proceed. I think baseball stands the best chance. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, some of the other things that they're talking about, uh, to, to get this season going, um, obviously they'll have an expanded roster set just – uh, they're going to have to um, just to avoid injuries and things like that. Uh, doing an electronic strike zone, um, which that's a whole topic unto itself. Um, well, once you go there, once you open up that can of worms, I you think you won't be able to put the worms back. No. Interesting. You think they're, they're going to do an electronic? Interesting. Yeah. They're that, not going to bring umpires? Oh, there will be umpires, and I, and I definitely want to touch on that uh, because there's a whole issue going on there. there, there there's two, two big issues, which are the draft and umpires, in my mind. Um, but they're talking about doing seven-inning doubleheaders like they do in the minor leagues so they can get as close to 162 games as possible, um, miking up the players. Um, players have to social distance in the dugout. Now, at some point, if you guys are together all the time and you're in a quarantined environment, I think some of those things will go away because are they going to sit in the stands or I don't, I mean, dugouts aren't that big. I don't know. Yeah, you got no, it's true. The dugouts are really not that huge. So when you've got, if you've got a 30 player roster and you're hitting, 
I mean, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna have to go climb and sit on the roof or something. On the top of the dugout, or I mean, not that I wouldn't be. Uh, well, I, I well, okay, you're gonna have an empty stadium, right? So I thought the talk before Justin was they were gonna have players sitting in the stand. Yeah, I think I did. I I think I did see that. Yeah, and so it'll be something like that. Um, but the two issues that I think, and so those will just play out as they play out. But the two issues I think are really important are the draft and umpires. And the draft, they're talking about doing a five-round draft. Uh, and now baseball, Major League Baseball has offered a 10-round draft to um, MLBPA. The MLBPA, I believe, has officially rejected because there are really, really severe caps on how much bonus money can go out uh, to the players in the draft. Uh, so Major League Baseball is like, okay, fine, we'll just do five rounds because they can um, they, they cannot go fewer than five rounds according to the collective bargaining agreement. Um, but a couple things here, uh, and this a little bit goes in hand in hand too with the reduction of major, uh, minor league baseball too. Um, baseball's draft is insane. Absolutely insane. There is no set number of rounds. You draft until everybody's done. Um, that seems silly to me. Um, but on the other hand, just five rounds I mean, what happens to all the rest of those players? They all just become free agents at that point in time? And how does that impact those younger players who are making no money for X number of years until they get to the majors? Um, and also, from a selfish perspective, if you're the Tigers, like, I, I would be very displeased with that because they have an opportunity with a number one pick to do very well deeper into the draft. So, it isn't there a question at this point right now? I mean, uh, and, and the player that we even alluded to a, a little bit uh, um, when we were back at the station with Spencer Torkelson, and there's a little bit of you know, uh, I think there's a debate, isn't there, right now about the uh, the uh, whether or not he would be available uh, for the draft. That a lot of these players are are looking like they're going to try to request additional eligibility, um, you know, in in playing now. Mind you, if you're Spencer Torkelson, why would you want to go back? But but I think that's something that, you know, I, unfortunately, like you said, uh, uh, Justin, there's a lot of issues that baseball and the rest of the league are going to have to work through. I mean, I, you know, you, you I mean, already yesterday, we're recording this on Saturday, May 2nd. Uh, NBA has announced there's not going to be any combine and uh, the draft lottery is going to be delayed, which you know a lot of people took to be a positive because that meant that they were the NBA is still going to try to get the season in or at the very least get the playoffs in. And, and I, so, so in general, that's how we're all taking it. But you, you see this delaying schedule. And one thing I want to be able to ask it wasn't something i asked in the email but but the, is that have we has the country as a whole missed sports during this period of, of time because i've heard different opinions that some have said no i've i've been able to manage this fine without them but at the same time there's people that are desperately wanting a, a ball game and again, everything plays into the situation, and I, I want to be able to attack that before we end this particular recording. 
I, I mean, I, I really do think it, it's situational. I mean, for me, obviously, I missed it quite a bit, but, you know, I also spend every other Saturday doing this. So, obviously, sports, you know, is a big part of my life. Um, you know, I think it depends on your mindset. Uh, depends on which sports you like, which teams you like, and how are they doing this year, you know. Maybe if you were a Golden State fan, you were like, oh, my God, I don't have to watch this anymore. Thank God the next time I, I get to watch this team, I get Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and whatever other superstars they go grab, you know, and I get to watch them dominate again, you know. And if you're the Lakers fan, you're like, oh, my God, we were going to win the championship this year, I think. And I'm, I'm going to miss out on seeing LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know, play a, you know, go on a playoff run or similar for the NHL, you know, how many years does the veteran have left and proud, you know. So I really think it, it, it is really situational. I think the country as a whole, though, has the sports. It's a huge part of our DNA. And I think the NFL draft, which I think is a pretty pretty terrible product and has been for a long time, and there, the viewership of it, I think, lends, lends, you know, supports that. Well, so what I would say is there's two, there's two things. Um, one is, I mean, obviously, it's always situational. Like for me personally, not going to baseball games, I very much miss that. Um, the Tigers also miss the fact that I'm paying them. So they're throwing a lot of free things at us at the moment. But um, so, yes, I think people really do miss it. But I do think for everyone, except for perhaps the, the diehardest of fans, maybe they're going to take it a little less seriously. And look, I love sports. Don't get me wrong. Wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. But there's no question that we collectively tend to take this stuff way more seriously than we need to. And maybe there will be a breath here of, huh, maybe the world's not going to end if the ref blew that call or whatever else the situation. Maybe LeBron is not the Antichrist. Maybe whatever the case may be. Um, maybe people will just calm down a little. Uh, on that front and maybe I'm being silly here but uh, th that's my other that's my other take on it yeah I think that's a good point and maybe it's connected to one of the other kind of zeitgeists of sports right now which is the nostalgia for the last dance documentary and you know just the crazy ratings and the way that it's taken over a lot of sports news cycles also because of the lack of anything else right. but sports were different then too and while there were things, you know, there was, you know, real-time coverage of Dennis Rodman going crazy in Las Vegas. It was, the game was different back then in basketball, and it, it just, it was it was a different time in sports, and the, the hyper replay and the hyper coverage of the NFL, not, you know, just the nonstop NFL news cycle, you know, all that stuff, I hope, to your point, Justin, does dissipate a little bit, and you, you go back to a little bit more of a genuine product across all the sports, and people passionate and care and get excited and their rivalries, but the, all the stuff in the media uh, begins to fade. And that's really the toxicity in my mind around it being taken too seriously. It's not actually the fans going, you know, there are some in Philly and other places that are a little insane, <laughs> but you know, it's actually the media that tones it down a little, you know, you don't need Skip Bayless screaming at a TV or, you know, just the th things like that. That's what I hope. Yeah, yeah, and Adam, go ahead before you I, go really quick. Oh no, go ahead. No, but but the the other thing that I'll find very interesting is like if you look at the NBA, the NBA, and even we'll see it in the Major League Baseball. 
and we initially have advocated for this for years is I'm wondering if the owners and the people running them are going to get smart and start looking at shortening the seasons for all of these. Because you look at baseball, if you play 100 games, what is that product going to be like versus the 162? If you look at the NBA, NBA, if you do not start until Christmas Day and you wrap up your season at the end of April, isn't the play, especially with all this, you know, the resting of the players and, and, and you know, uh, uh, load control, uh, load balancing, you know, stuff like that happening. I think that, and we absolutely, I am hoping that that is one of the uh, results of this is that they find out in the end that they're better off that less is better, less is more than versus more versus quantity. So, yes, and great point. Adam. Yeah, and and a hundred percent agree, which makes for great compelling radio. But 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 this is true, not just of or video or whatever the hell it is we do now. Um, this is true, not just of sports, but it is true across the board as it pertains to media coverage of things. We collectively, societally have have amplified every platform. Every platform that's out there is now amplified. Obviously sports is part of that. It's a it's a big platform. And maybe one of the positives that come out that comes out of this whole deal is maybe things will be slightly less amplified. I actually don't think that's gonna happen. But, but it's, it's indicative of where we are right now. Everything has to have coverage all the time. And that's how the money gets made in the business because it's, it's advertising revenue. Well, the advertisers pay to get their, their product in front of people 24-7. So that's why Skip Bayless has to scream at people because they got to fill that airtime because they're getting good ad rates. And, and, and that's – that's the crux of this is we just we we are in this overconsumption crunch that that we just have to have all the things right now and you know we're we're, we're getting a little off topic here and uh but 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 going back to baseball and because we know a lot more about what it will look like, right? We, we, we're getting to know more and more about what it will look like. And I think the biggest challenge right now, guys, is trying to figure out, because science of the situation that we're in seems to be changing almost every day. Unfortunately, baseball is being put into a position of trying to figure out what that science is and what they need to do to be able to perform around the rules of that science. And I have to tell you, you know, Manfred, we completely ripped that guy to shreds before, but if he is able to go ahead and get a product out on the diamond that is able to sustain itself with everything, with the ever-changing rules of science and be able to, to capture the attention of the nation, Boy, that puts him in a pretty good position. You'd have to give him props for that, no doubt about it. Um, and so besides the – oh, go ahead. May I actually save them from what was going to be, I think, a dour, cynical season for Major League Baseball coming out of the, the Astros scandal and the other teams. I think it was going to be a cynical year uh, for baseball. I think it was going to be a nasty season. I think there's going to be people – 
you know, there's gonna be, we talked about, you know, getting guys getting thrown at and it's just a lot of nastiness. And then, and, and some of that may dissipate because we're just taking it seriously is, you know, Hey guys, we get to still do what we love. We get to still play a game. Uh, we get to go out on the field while many others, you know, can't in their sports or no, are no longer with us or are still ill or, you know, so I, I you know, I, I think, you know, for baseball, this may act a little bit like, uh, you know, even though it turned out to be not so hot, the home run race and, you know, 9-11, you know, coming out after the strike to begin that upward swing for baseball back into a, into a better place, you know, kind of in America. And this may be, this may serve a similar purpose because I think it was going to be a nasty season. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point about the Astros, and I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about them for for some right. period of time. And 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 as much as I advocate for uh, them lying in the dirt as often as possible, uh, alive, not the other way, uh, but to you know get knocked down, um, you know that that is a great point. Is that it? It, it is taking away from probably well, well, certainly the biggest baseball scandal that we've been through um yeah. and we've there have been some whoppers over the years but this one is the biggest of our lifetimes without question um the other thing i did want to touch on was just with major league umpiring you know major league baseball is playing hardball with them as well um basically trying to cut their salaries pretty substantially um top major league baseball umpire makes about 100 grand less than the minimum rookie salary um and they're trying to get the empires take about a 30 percent pay cut plus not fund their pensions and things of that nature so we do have some potential labor trouble brewing here the empires don't want to be perceived as being greedy or whatever else particularly again in this whole circumstance but baseball's position has left them legitimately considering striking again uh they don't think that's what's going to happen a uh, really great article in the Athletic about this, and but they're pissed because they're like, why, why are you coming down on us? You know, I mean, yes, we're the the umpires actually proactively offered a twenty percent pay cut. Uh, they said, yep, we understand. Uh, here, here you go. Uh, but now baseball saying, well, we're not going to give you the same per diem. We're not going to give you the same blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, and and the umpires also understanding that they will be put into a quarantine situation. So they will not be able to go back to their families like they normally do during a season. They will, And they're saying, look, don't take all of this stuff from us. We're willing to work with you, but don't, don't be jerks about it. And this is where I, I worry with Manfred is he takes a really hard line on a lot of these things. And we're going to have labor trouble again in baseball in 2021, if some of this stuff doesn't get solved. And it just, it, it's, it's something else we, to, to keep an eye on. And this is where, where we can praise or, or rip Manfred to shreds again is how he deals with these specific things because baseball might not be able to get out of its own way. And I, that would really make me sad. I, the, the one thing I – and again, you've done more reading about this, but the question would be so, so like the per diem piece, right? So, so if they don't get a per diem, but baseball, in order to be able to get this up and running, go ahead and supply all the lodging. And of course, if you do all the lodging, you're all going to be uh, uh, eating in the same place and whatever. I, I'd like to know more about those particular details before I 
and I think you've just let out some facts. You haven't given an opinion. But but the point is, I think we're in need of more details before we make any sort of sweeping judgment. Well, and that and that's one of the things that the umpires are questioning, because at this point, Major League Baseball has not offered to pay for lodging or food or anything like that. Okay. It makes sense that they would. They have hinted at the fact that they would, but they haven't put a proposal in front of the umpires that says, yeah, 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 we got that. Because then at that point, the umpires don't need the per diem and they, they move on with life. Because the umpires, the per diem covers their lodging, their food. Um, they have to pay clubhouse dues to all the stadiums that they, um, they use the locker rooms. Um, so that's what actually covers the umpires um, – the, the, yeah, the umpires don't get all that stuff paid for. Their taxi rides, all of that. So their per diem has to cover all of those things. Uh, and they're talking about like making the stadiums not charge them, which seems like a good I'm going to go, go, go ahead and do the exact opposite of what Adam suggested uh, and generalize broadly. And this is just the stupidest conversation I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> the, the economics of sports are ridiculous, certainly. This is, this is just beyond ridiculous. Um, this is such a small part of the financial picture of the complexities of Major League Baseball economics and the fact that we're talking about any of it right now. It's just, what, what does Major League Baseball stand to gain? Nothing. Nothing. It's such a small part of their financial picture right now. And listen, the sports leagues, like everybody, are dealing with a rapidly changing economic picture, and there's pain to go around. Certainly. But this is such a small part of that, that it's just, it, 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 it's waited, I was just, you know, getting a little excited and nostalgic, and now I'm just like, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I didn't it's just be a soul crusher here. so stupid, it's so stupid, per diem, do they pay the fees, do they not pay the fees, be lucky that you can, you can field your sports, you know, your, your, your league, and move on, figure it out, take care of your people. And, and you would think from a, Major League Baseball standpoint, you're sitting there, you are um, going ahead and, and going through this, that you would do whatever you could do to accommodate, because if you do not, you know, you know, when this is all over, the lawyers are going to be back in town, and they're going to be, have no problem going ahead and bringing lawsuits over. The emotion is going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Remarkable. Remarkable. Lawyers are going to be looking to find things uh, even more so than normal. So. They, they yeah. already yeah. are. They already That's right. That's right. Well, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sure they are. They're all going to be very busy when this is all said and done. Yes. Or, or even now, they're, they're, they're looking for ways to be busy. Believe me. Um, so, anyway, it, it, this is, like I said, baseball can't get out of its own way sometimes. Many industries can't get out of their own own way baseball is certainly not um unique in that, uh, in that so we talked about very briefly um or, or brandon you alluded to the the mini series that's out on espn i know we wanted to, to to touch on that um you know as it pertained to well the pistons are obviously a a, a big part of that so go ahead and tee it up yeah, I think my question, you know, I, I, well, I'll just, my overview, I really have enjoyed it. Uh, I think for, you know, and I'm obviously probably certainly the biggest basketball fan of the three of us. Uh, it's, you know, one of my favorite sports to watch right now with where the league is. 
Um, so I've really enjoyed it from that perspective. Obviously, you know, it's got a lot of compelling characters uh, and a really compelling story, a lot of which I didn't know in terms of the back office, the, the back fighting that was happening within the Bulls organization. But my question to you two is actually, uh, you know, I was, you know, two or three or four years old when this, when these things were happening and you, you were both active watchers of, of sports at the time. And so how is the, uh, how is the portrayal uh, of that, certainly from a Bulls perspective, you know, how does it, how does it, you know, land with your realities and what you remember of the time and the, the scandal around the lack of shaking hands or the, the rise of Jordan, because I think for someone like me, you know, there was not a time when Jordan was only the scorer because by the time I was a sports watcher, he already had one or two championships and then went on to win four or five more. So I'm just curious where you guys land with their portrayal of, uh, you know, the late nineties Pistons Bulls. So I, I ended up, I watched the um, uh, miniseries all four episodes last night in preparation of this. I just hadn't found time, and finally this show was a good reason just to sit down and watch the three and a half hours of footage, right? Um, and, and for all the talk I heard about it, um, the actual miniseries I thought was as compelling as they talked about it, I wasn't as compelled and maybe because I heard so much about it, you know, and especially to the, 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 the constant going back and forth and sequence and whatever was a bit confusing, quite honestly. Sure. Um, to your, in terms of late 80s, uh, um, uh, you know, late 80s uh, um, basketball uh, and, and in terms of, of the Pistons, no doubt in my mind that the Pistons were going to be uh, there, there was going to be some negative light, especially about the no handshake at the end. What I found really amazing, though, is even from the Pistons' perspective, I didn't feel like they completely just made them out to be super bad people. They they showed them more to be a tough basketball team that were in the middle of an era between the, uh, you know, beginning with the Julius Irving 76ers, moving on a little, you know, obviously to the Lakers and the Celtics of the era, to them moving on to that that that, that Pistons era, that the, the, the Pistons, and I think John Kelly talked about them trying to uh, manage their survival within that era based on where basketball was, and the desire by the NBA of making sure that Michael Jordan was going to be the star of the NBA. What I'm very curious about is how they carry through, because I think what, what will end up happening is that the Bulls will be put up on this pedestal that I think is not as um, uh, not as deserving as it should be, because quite honestly, I think their streak of NBA championships was in a very poor period at best of the NBA based on the opponents, especially in the NBA finals that they had whether it be the Charles Barkley Suns, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, these teams that quite honestly were kind of unimpressive. And, and especially, too, the Bulls faded before really the emergence of the Kobe Bryant, Sha uh, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, um, you know, Lakers, and, of course, uh, with the Miami Heat, with Dwayne Wade and that particular team. That, that's where... I, I, but again, they'll continue that, that pedestal. But going back to answering your question on the Pistons, this long-winded answer, I actually thought that they, they presented them as much more of a formidable champion than I would have expected within a miniseries specifically about the Bulls. And obviously, that, and I think that's, 
the Aquarius, the first four uh, parts, what I've been really impressed by is that I really was led to believe by the promotion of this, this was all about Michael Jordan. And I think they've actually done, if I were to be really positive about something, it's really the portrayal of telling the story of the Bulls as a whole, with obviously Michael Jordan as the centerpiece, but not taking up all the room. Yeah. I have not actually had the opportunity to watch uh, this particular thing yet. I will say in talking with a few different Pistons fans, uh, including some who uh, live in Ohio, um, they, they were actually really pleased by the way the Pistons were portrayed in this. Uh, they did not feel like it was a hatchet job at all. All I can tell you is back when, when this was all going on, it was very clear to all of us, and maybe there's the, you know some hometown bias in that, but it was very clear to all of us that Jordan was the favorite son. Um, the Pistons were the team you wanted to hate. Uh, we enjoyed that. And over time, leagues have ways, particularly the NBA, of making things go the way they want them to go, uh, particularly in the Stern days. And marketing was very important. Jordan, very important to that. And I, I think there was, at best, an unconscious bias against not just the Pistons, but anyone playing Jordan. Yeah. I, you know, I think Adam, you brought up one really interesting point. And that's, and that's kind of what I, I felt. I kind of agreed with what both of you have offered, you know, in terms of my watching of it. I think, Adam, you had an interesting point, which is where the Bulls rank. You know, Jordan and Pippen are obviously Michael Jordan. No, no, no further words needed there. Pippen, obviously, also an extraordinary player. But if you think about the depth of some of the teams that have that preceded them or have followed them, on paper they don't look that good. Uh, you know, you think about the, the certainly the Celtics and the Lakers. If you know the Bulls would have with their '90s roster would have played, you know, the, the '86 Celtics, they would have got they would have got the floor wiped with them. Uh, and some of the Lakers teams, too, with Jabbar and all that. You know, they didn't play the Lakers in the finals until Jabbar had retired. Uh, and, you know, but even, you know, even some of the, the Lakers teams of the early 2000s or the, the Durant-Golden State Warriors, you know, you really wonder how, just how good those goals were. And I think, to your point, Adam, this is intended to put them on that pedestal. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting stuff. It's interesting stuff. You even think about the San Antonio Spurs, Tim Duncan, David yes. Robinson, that particular yep. team, and 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 I get, you know, unfortunately, you, you he would never want it. But boy, I mean, it may, may, maybe before too long, between Greg Popovich and Duncan, and and uh, you know that that would be a pretty interesting mini series if you're going to do it. But I think in the whole realm of things, you know, you're you're not going to see that, and especially when you think about the people that are on there commentating. President Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, who's been on there. Um, uh, and, and, and again, I think, too, is that when you think about that particular age, you're talking about tremendous personalities within the NBA at that point, where I think in a lot of ways, uh, as much as people want to talk about LeBron James, I don't really find LeBron James to be a captivating personality for me to sit there and listen to. And then it's not a judgment of LeBron as a person. It's, most, it's more of a LeBron in terms of a, a captivating personality that I'm going to spend my valuable time sitting down and watching. And it's not going to happen, period. So. In defense of LeBron, which is not a sentence you'll hear me say often, uh, I will say that, um, again, going back to our, our earlier point of – of, of 
oversaturation of content. I don't know that the Celtics would be as interesting as they were in the 80s. I don't know that the Pistons would have been as interesting. I don't know that the Lakers would have been as interesting. Interesting, yes. I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I mean, there's a guy who was all over the place before it was cool to be all over the place. Um, But I, I, I think in terms of talent, those teams were better than those Bulls teams. But in terms of, of, of how the world works now, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that any of these guys would be that, that, um, that interesting because, you know, things get – go ahead. I, I, I think the Pistons definitely were. When you break down the personalities who were on that team, well, where they've gone, right? Yeah, well, they had J- Dennis Rodman. I think John Kelly was an extremely interesting person from the standpoint that you you take a guy like John Kelly, who was not much different than Dennis Rodman in terms of his play on the court. When John Kelly was not interested in playing, John was not very good. When John Kelly wanted to be the best player on the court, gosh darn, he was good. And then, but again, and, and you see what he's done, talk shows, so, you know, that, that type of thing, John, right? We move on to Bill Lambeer, and Bill Lambeer continues, even to this day, to continue to have interesting opinions, whether you agree with him or not. Joe Dumars went on, he had a very interesting career, and I think he's kind of muted himself, but probably in the whole scheme of things, could offer a whole lot more. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, go through my mind on, on that particular squad. J- James Edwards, um, uh, actually, he hasn't been on there, and it's funny because he's had a lot of interesting interviews since then. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas uh, has been a, a, a very, you know, interesting person. Um, and, and when you look and you go back to that Bulls team, you think about, you know, what those guys have done since then. Michael Jordan is good as a basketball player. He is absolutely awful at managing a franchise. Phil Jackson was awful past that particular period. Dennis Rodman is about the most consistent person out of that in terms of maintaining his personality and whatever. Scottie Pippen has literally dropped off the face of the planet. I, I, Phil, Jack, Phil Jackson, he, he won five championships. Yeah. Five. Oh, you know what? I always forget about him with the. Yeah. I always think yeah. about him with the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very, very, very ugly, very ugly. No, but like. No, oh, you know a- what? I. That, but, thank you. I, well, again, All good. You know, good. The fact checking uh, commission is there. Yeah. Yep. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, we. And by the he's not not good at managing a franchise either. Paul Jackson. He's an incredible coach. Um, right. But no, actually, you, you think about some of the secondary guys on the Bulls. You have Steve Kerr. Uh, extraordinarily successful. Uh, uh, Paxton uh, has had an interesting career after leaving. So, yeah, no, interesting. You know, the thing that it, to me is so cool about The Last Dance is that there's actually now a library of this content that creates continuity basically between 1979 and 2000 for the NBA. And that is the three-part 30 for 30 that the ESPN did on Lakers Celtics, which was amazing, uh, narrated by Ice Cube and uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Uh, it's about four hours of content there. Then you have the awesome Bad Boys 30 for 30. And now you have The Last Dance. And so I think what, what, what basketball has going for it is that there was a continuity because all, there was overlap between all of those teams that were all legendary, essentially over a 20-year period. So just really cool, uh, really cool to have that kind of content. 
know, no other sport has that kind of a, both that kind of a library and that kind of a uh, overlap between dynasties. Yeah, and what would be interesting too is uh, to explore at some point in time or another, why, why is that the case? Particularly if you look at um, what was going on in both the NHL and the NBA in the 80s, because the NHL had the Islanders and the Oilers and what have you. Why is it that we get a lot less of that now? And I, and I think there's a lot of yeah. answers to that question, but just an interesting topic. What, yeah. One good library, by the way, when you are thinking about sports would be NFL Films. NFL Films <laughs> has done a tremendous job for several years of, of not necessarily – to, to your point, not necessarily identical to what we're talking about here, but they actually have done a tremendous job yeah. of going ahead and uh, um, you know recording the moments and be able to do it in some sort of, of presenta- presentation uh, way uh, for you know for it to be really taken in by audiences. So, yep. Yeah, I would definitely add uh, Oilers and Islanders uh, to my documentary wish list for sure. Oh, definitely, definitely some great. Uh, Great teams, great teams, and uh, a whole other uh, a whole other world to explore that does not get a lot of light uh, shown on it. And there were definitely some very interesting things going on behind the scenes uh, for those teams as well. So, there's nothing else I think on our agenda for today, unless there's anything else you guys wanted to talk about. Brandon, did you have any other additional points uh, from an NFL draft standpoint as a, a league as a whole in terms of draft picks that you wanted to discuss to wrap up the show? I mean, I think the one that just obviously stood out to most people was the Packers. I mean, wow. Talk about an FU. Uh, you know, they have a, 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 ter- a horrendous record of surrounding Aaron Rodgers with guys that can play, and they finally get one of the most loaded from a depth standpoint skill player drafts and they don't and they take a quarterback in the first round. Wow. Well and actually when you think when you think about Green Bay, actually I don't think they've had a um a first round draft pick the last five years in a skill position. And they certainly had the, the opportunity to go ahead and do that for Aaron Rodgers. And and I think it does spell the potential um departure well, not potential. I mean, this is this is done. This is a done deal. Yeah, well, I'm, it's the win now. I mean, and, and, a, and there lies. I, you're absolutely right. It's probably not the if, but the win. Does he make it to the season? Where does that put him? And and it's weird too because he just signed a contract here. I think about a, a, a year ago, if I'm not mistaken. So there will definitely be a a hit. And you know, here was the thought they were bringing Matt below for let Maddox work with Aaron Rodgers before, and and, and it's going to be a really positive relationship. And literally within a year, it it appears to be done based on actions. And. Um, and, and, and Brandon, really, what's even more interesting is trying to figure out how the Packers, how Aaron Rodgers got to this point. And probably a large part it has to do with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers probably, in the whole scheme of things, is beyond difficult to work with. And you wonder if that's basically how Matt LaFour and the organization got to this decision as quickly as it did, especially, again, with it not being too long since he signed that contract extension, that will be fairly painful to go ahead uh, from a, a salary cap hit to go ahead and get rid of. Yeah, no, I think that that and we, I mean, you and you mentioned it. You called it very early last year, Adam. I'll give you credit. The decline of Aaron Rodgers, 
uh, and how he showed up on the football field was markedly different last season. And you had mentioned it very early in the year, and I was like, no, just wait. Like, this guy, he'll be back. And he looked just atrocious in the playoffs. Uh, the worst I've ever seen him play going back to his, you know, his initial years in Green Bay. And so, yeah, and that that's actually a really good point is that his play was was pretty terrible. Um, but yeah, in terms of that contract, he signed it this year, and that that's a head scratcher to me. A four year extension signed in 2020, and it, even though it's felt like it's been five years this year, it's only a few months. Oh, wow. And um, wow, I, I mean, what what's going on? Because this sounds like something the Lions would do. Assign your quarterback well, big extension and then go draft the quarterback. Well, I'll tell you what, my 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 line that I've given for quite some time, and I, I don't think people give a lot of credence to it, and, and that's fine, is that the parity in the NFL one thing is the parity in the NFL is is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. But the other thing is is that I don't really have respect for well over 20 of the front offices in um, football at this point, because I, I don't think in the end, most of these front offices really know what they're doing. And I think a large part of where, you know, the, the good teams versus the bad team, I think the gap too between a really good team and a really bad team is not that wide. And that's where I, I, I going back, just throwing it out there. I'm curious about what happens with the Lions this season, because I think if they're healthy and you got players that can have immediate impact on this team from the draft and you are, are able to do a couple more things in free agency, I'm curious at the very least about where exactly this team can be. And, you know, so, but to, to the, to the Green Bay Packers, no, I, I think a lot of decisions that get made in the NFL for the most part are knee jerk decisions. I mean, you take a look at a team like the LA Rams that two years ago, all I heard about was this was the franchise to be, that this was going to be the, the, the end all be all. And now it seems like they're literally crumbling at the foundation. There's no Todd Gurley anymore. They signed Jared Goff, a not so good quarterback, to a really luxurious contract. They traded Brandon Cook, which is not uncommon in the NFL, but in the meantime, they're doing something else. And, and you know, and even if you look at, like, the uh, the, the, the Houston Texans and, and, and that particular team. Yeah, I mean, bad I, well, it, They've had a bad offseason. The, the draft was crazy. I, it, it just, you know, and that's where I go. The NFL as a whole, you, it doesn't mean that because you're a general manager, you're a smart person. It just happened to be that you were the right person at the right place at the right time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I was about to bring up the Texans as well. You know, I think the other thing that I took away, uh, you know, staying kind of local-ish uh, in terms of the, the NFC North would be, you know, the Vikings, great draft. And they just, in my mind, they have a stranglehold on this division. Uh, the Lions, you know, they, they got better. I did not think the Bears or the Packers showed up very well in the draft. I think the Lions had far better drafts than both of those teams. But, you know, the, the, the Vikings had two, either one late round or one – they had a couple of picks in the top 30 or top four. And they got a great player out of LSU, the, the wide receiver, Jeffries, and a great corner. And so they are – you know, they, were made, they moved on from digs and reloaded, and there is no – Barring something bizarre, I don't see any team challenging them in the NFC North. 
the last question I have for both of you. We are here again, May 2nd uh, to 2020. We are, what, five months away, or excuse me, four months away from the beginning of the NFL season. One, does the NFL start on time, which would be that Sunday after Labor Day weekend? Secondly, what if any crowd is are in the seats? Yes, they start on time, no crowd in the seats. Okay. That tends to be where I'm at, or some strange version of a small socially distanced crowd. I think what we're going to see over the coming months is that we will start returning to normal. There will be another spike uh, in infections, which will cause us to close down again um, due to ICUs being overwhelmed. And then we're going to do one of those uh, for some period of time. I don't know what that period of time is. Um, So I don't think it looks promising uh, for football. Uh, to have a full, normal opening day crowd, if you will. But uh, we'll see what happens. But I did want to throw out there also, Adam, uh, that if there's any um, front, you know, any owners out there of any franchise that is looking to get rid of their front office, we, the three of us would be happy to take over. It's a good gig. It's a lot of hours, though. That's the, 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 that's the thing I don't really have any use for is the working the 80, 90 hours a week, which I – I barely worked a 40 that I have to, so that's what I kind of like. So, um, but but it, it, my my answer to my own question, I, I absolutely believe that there will be uh, NFL football, uh, uh, and I'll clarify that. I absolutely believe that. And, and uh, in my heart of heart, as of May 2nd, I, I really do believe there's about a 30 to 40% chance that those those crowds will be – the seats will be full at, at that point. I, I – I, I have a tremendous belief that the uh, corporate America, i.e. scientists, pharmaceutical companies will figure this out and, and they will be able to go ahead and, and have full stadiums with, of course, testing, infrared, you know, scanning and stuff like that to be able to go ahead and get there. I, I, I do believe that, that it, it, it's a good chance based on it being, again, uh, four months away. So Yeah, and, and, and that, that is a good point. I do think um, there will be some innovation that definitely comes, like the infrared scanning. I, I totally see that happening at parks all over the country. Um, yeah, no question about that. Um, that will spark its own wave of issues and lawsuits and what have you, mind you. But um, I, I definitely see some innovations to make this better than what it is right now. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think your, your call is fair, Adam. I think, you know, for me, you know, you know, go ahead. You're not going to see me there. Uh, not when I can watch a game on a 55 inch TV from the comfort of my home with no percent chance of contracting a deadly virus, you know? So I think there's just gonna be a lot of people who will be like, okay, go ahead. I mean, True. have at it. You know, I, I think I would be a little more compelled for it, of course, being a, you know, a Tiger's ticket holder, but yeah, you know. Oh, I, I, and, and again, if you're basing it on where we are at today from a science and prevention standpoint, you, you are absolutely correct. And, and again, I, I'm not saying uh, – I, I think what I guess the, the general point I'm making that 30 to 40% is more about 
less restrictions and more measures that are put into place to be able to allow people to be more densely populated in a stadium than what we perceive to be possible today. That that's, And, and you're right, there, there are going to continue to be people, you know, that have your exact vantage point. I'm not necessarily saying I'm any different than you, quite honestly, but again, yeah. that, that was my stance anyway. I didn't really have much of a desire to be any more of my desire to go to a game outside of a, an occasional Tiger game is not very big. So, yeah, same. Fair. So, with that said, I think that's going to wrap us up uh, for this edition. Uh, I don't know when we're going to broadcast again. Uh, I think it's going to be dependent on what's going on in the sports world. Um, as Adam's been alluding to, it's May the 2nd today. I would say traditionally we'd probably be on in about two weeks and uh, just going over whatever was going on. But um, one thing that this gives us is the flexibility to do this when we want. If something exciting happens tomorrow, we could talk about it the day after or tomorrow or whatever. Or if nothing happens, maybe it'll be a little bit longer. Um, We'll have to figure it out. As everyone else is at these times, we just got to go and figure it out. So uh, I hope everybody out there stays safe and well. And um, thank you very much for listening. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name is Justin Lee. This has been another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Take care, everybody. Take care. Take care. See you guys.